Well, we're um, currently going through a series which uh, has been titled Life Beyond. And uh, so far we've covered topics such as life beyond envy, life beyond shame, and life beyond fear. And the way that this uh, series was, uh, was, was started, was introduced, uh, was uh, Andy led a session on the very first Sunday, uh, 2019. And he made this amazing statement. He said, 2019 could be the greatest year of your life. And uh, where I was sitting, just, just over there a bit, there was, uh, I could hear a couple of amens and a, and a, a hallelujah. And I'm, I'm sure uh, I heard an African sister say, give it to me, brother. <laughs> and when I was listening to this, <laughs> my, uh, my mind was transported back to uh, New Year's Eve um, 2017, so it, as it you know, just the day before 2018, and we'd spent uh, uh, the evening at my son's place down in Dover, and Amy is his wife, and it was a great event, and uh, it went on to well past 12 o'clock, and, you know, the corks were, you know, popping, and we wished each other a happy new year. We wished each other good health and good wealth, and that's what you do on New Year's Eve. Fast forward three months, and I'm standing, in, I'm sitting in my GP surgery and telling him about some chest pains that I've been getting and uh, speaking through the, the symptoms and, and my family history it sounds she said it sounds like you've got angina so uh, sure enough I was uh, fast-forwarded to Kingston and I was given an angiogram now an angiogram they put a little tiny camera up a, a vein or an archer not quite sure which they put a, a colored dye on your on your heart and you're awake, so I can see on this screen in front of me my heart. And I'm delighted to say it's pumping. <laughs> and I'm thinking, this is really good. And then there's about eight people there, eight professionals in the room, and suddenly I started hearing, hmm, oh dear. That's not good. I was like, what, what, what's going on? And they said, well, I'm afraid we've got to tell you that one of your arteries is completely and utterly blocked the other archery has done an amazing thing, and this is the human body is incredible, by the way. Uh, it has grown beyond its normal um, sort of capacity, and it has grown and is compensating for the damaged uh, artery. Um, however, that one is now starting to get smaller. It's starting to get clogged up itself. I said, this doesn't sound very good. He said, well, put it like this. We in the, uh, in the cardiology department, we uh, jokingly refer to it as uh, the widow maker. I thought, well, you know, next, you know, remind me not to turn up to a cardiology joke night, you know. <laughs> so on the 3rd of Ju uh, July last year, I had a triple heart bypass, and I think there'll be somewhere a picture of me. That was, I think that was taken within 24 hours of the operation. It's, it's, it's amazing what, what they can do. Between diagnosis and between that operation, my wife Karen noticed uh, a lump in her breast, and sure enough, it turns out to be cancer. Indeed, it was the most aggressive breast cancer you can get. So she spent uh, the rest of 2018, and indeed, it even went into 2019, uh, on chemotherapy, surgery, radiotherapy, and that finished just three weeks ago. And she is now in recession. What they call it? Remission. Remission. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now, I don't say these things to garnish sympathy or indeed respect or anything like that because I know that there are people here who have gone through 
far worse things than, than we've gone through. But I do say it because it just goes to show that life can, has this ability to throw stuff at us that we, we had no idea where it was coming from, and it has this capacity to throw stuff at us that can really knock us, can really take us down. So as we continue this Life Beyond series, this morning we're looking at uh, Life Beyond Despair. So how do you know, so there's these things in our lives that can really, you know, you know knock us down. What do we do when we hear news of ill health, coronary heart disease or, or cancer? What do we do when our child is suffering or when someone we, kill, we love is killed in a car accident or a knife attack? What about rape, debt, divorce, disability, unemployment, a prison sentence? All these things have the capacity to completely throw us in reality, of course, these things can't be avoided. If we just look at three areas of our lives, our health, our finances, and our relationships, the statistics are not good. Ill health will get us all sooner or later. That's if we're not you know, involved in a car accident or some abrupt ending. The current statistics for cancer is one in two people. I don't know why they put it like that. Half of us will be diagnosed with cancer at some point in our life, one in two. The statistics around debt are frightening too. 25% of Britons think they will never, ever be debt-free, and 65% of us are worried about the current level of debt that we have. We are in such massive debt, if we average it out for every single person in the UK, excluding a mortgage, including children, £8,000 per person. So just think of this. If you're in that luxurious position today of being debt-free, think, think on you know, the person next to you. He's got 16 grand's worth of debt. The current divorce rate is 42% of UK marriages will end divorce. And that's actually an improvement on where it's been in the past. And that does not include separations. So, you know... It's not good, is it? Things are not good. So let's turn our Bibles now uh, to one and see if there is any, any words here that can encourage us when these things are certainly at some point in our lives going to hit us. 1 Peter 1, which you'll find pretty much at the end of your Bible. If you, if you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. If you, to the end, if you get to Hebrews, you've gone too far forward. Let's offer this time up to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we just thank you for your word. Thank you that, the, that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit and that it is alive for us even today. We pray now that you would speak to us with the words that you would have us hear. Amen. 1 Peter 1, starting at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Um, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded uh, by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of troubles. You might have seen that the, the screen before us, Jesus said these words, in this world you will have trouble. But it's an interesting little phrase, isn't it? In this world you will have trouble. 
I think he's suggesting that there's another world where there is no trouble. And that's the world that we're looking at in this passage this morning. This letter was written at a time when the young Christian church was going through an awful lot of struggles, a lot of difficulties. Um, later on in the letter, he talks about harsh bosses, uh, threatening uh, and unbelieving spouses, and uh, ridicule from uh, a Roman regime. Uh, such was the treatment of Christians at this time uh, that they were, view- they were viewed as antisocial, atheistic, because they only believed in one God. Uh, the Roman Empire. Empire did all it could to malign the believers, including verbal abuse, labeling, shaming, insulting, and marginalizing them. They would boycott their businesses, uh, they would fire Christian staff, and masters and husbands were physically abusive to slaves and to wives because it was legally allowed for them to do so. That was the world in which Peter writes this letter. So he's writing this, this, this letter to to spur them on so that they might keep their faith at a time when life is really hard. But look at the way he starts. He starts with praise. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, given to a, that, that Peter is writing to a church that's suffering, this seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? Why would you write praise? Why would you write praise God when they're going through such difficult circumstances? You see, praise takes our eyes off ourselves, who is frankly unable to change our destiny, and puts it on the one who is. We are powerless. He is all-powerful. And it changes our focus from our inability to do anything to someone who is able to do more than we ask or imagine. And Peter gives three, uh, four, re- four different words that he uses to explain uh, why we should praise God. Uh, and of this other world uh, that, that Jesus seemed to be indicating. To an extent, these words are interchangeable. They're probably talking about the same thing. But each word, each phrase has its own kind of unique uh, sort of insight into this other world that we're talking about. He talks of a new birth, a living hope, an inheritance, and the salvation. So let's very quickly, going through this list, a new birth... For those of us who have found faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are not the same person that we were before we found him. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. We are not the same person that we were. Consequently, when troubles come our way, we are not obliged to behave in the same way that we did. We live a new life one of freedom, uh, and one uh, where we can rely on the one true God. And that leads us uh, naturally into the second phrase that he uses. We have been given a living hope. Now, we need to get sort of to the bottom of this word hope, really, because it's not the same word that we use in common English. Uh, In common English, we would say, I hope to win the lottery, or um, I I hope the presentation goes well, I, I hope the cancer doesn't come back. Uh, in all those cases, it's a bit of sort of wishful thinking. That is not the word that we're using uh, in the Bible here. This one has far much more certainty about it. Uh, the only problem with it, the reason why it's called hope and nothing more substantial, is we've not seen it yet. So it's absolute reality that we've just not experienced. And I was thinking, if you take the idea of a child saying, I hope to get a bike for Christmas, 
Imagine it's Christmas Eve, and under the, chair, under the tree is this thing that's wrapped, and it doesn't half look like a bike. And what's more, it's got his name on it. Jimmy, right? So Jimmy's got, uh, got his name on this bike-shaped parcel. Now, if his friend Billy was to say to him on Christmas Eve, have you got a bike? He would say, oh, yes, I've got a bike. And now Billy says, and what color is your bike? He would say, I don't know what color my bike is. Oh. And then he would say, how many gears has he got? I don't know how many gears he's got. And Jimmy would say, that's a very strange bike you've got there. But he's absolutely certain that he's going to get a bike because he's seen the bike under the tree. Now, this is a living hope. So this hope actually, it changes the way we behave. So now then, Billy asks him this question, shall we go for a bike ride on Boxing Day? Do you know what Jimmy says? Too right we're going for a bike ride on Boxing Day. He knows he can go for a bike ride because he's seen the bike under the tree. It's a reality. It's not just a wishful hope. You know, a wishful, you know, I hope I might get a bike. I know I'm getting a bike, and therefore I know I can go for a bike ride. Now, that's slightly dumbing down the whole idea. I appreciate that, but I hope it gives you an in, a sort of sense in this hope that we have. It is not the same as a wishful thinking. It is an absolute a certainty. We just don't quite know what it is, and we haven't experienced it yet. Now, I can imagine some skeptics amongst us saying, well, pfft, yeah, sure. You know, that sounds a bit pie in the sky, doesn't it? You know, how can you be sure that you've got this thing going? Well, don't forget who, who it was who was, uh, who was writing this letter. It was Peter. And he says, uh, he, he, the opening lines to what we read this morning were this. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter saw that resurrection. Peter saw Jesus very dead. He later... Two days later, saw Jesus very much alive. He has the absolute certainty of a resurrection. Elsewhere, we're told that Jesus is the first fruits of the multitude of resurrections. Uh, so, so how do we know this? Well, because we, later on we read, we've been given an inheritance. What Jesus has had, that resurrection, we will one day have ourselves because we follow after the first fruit just think what's involved in an in, uh, in inheritance the whole estate passes on to those names on the will and testament so put that in perspective for us the whole estate of the kingdom of god is passed down to us now there's a bit of sweet things with inheritance because yes we may gain a title and yes, we may gain an estate, but it usually involves the death of a loved one. Oh, there was a death in the case of Jesus. There was a horrendous death, but there was also a magnificent resurrection. This is odd, isn't it, this inheritance? We get to share the inheritance with the one who left it to us. Amazing. Unlike a human inheritance, this one will not perish, it will not spoil, it will not fade, it is kept in heaven, and it can't be touched. It's shielded by God's power. If someone wants to take that inheritance away from you, they have got to fight God to get it off him. And that ain't going to happen. 
I've, got a, I've, I've seen my name on a will. It's my mum's will, and my brother and I will share the estate. But, you know, she's getting frail now. She's getting old, and um, I don't think she can stay in the house for much, much longer. And elderly care is expensive. Elderly care is very expensive. And that, that estate, that, that wealth that, that will be handed down to me, it might not actually be that big by the time I get it because it will all be spent on her care. I'm thinking about uh, Karen's mum and dad. Well, they're doing what they call skiing, S-K-I-ing, spending the kids' inheritance on <laughs> luxury cruises around the world. And, and bless you, I hope you have many, many more. So I'm not going to see any of that. <laughs> but this inheritance that we have, this heavenly inheritance, it cannot spoil, it cannot fade, it cannot be taken away. Another thing about inheritance, of course, is it tells us that we're heirs. We are heirs of a fortune. You know, uh, in Romans, Paul says, we're heirs, heirs to the Father. Join heirs with Christ. Peter talks of an eternal inheritance, but he contrasts that with the troubles that we're going through. And he says, for a little while, you may have to suffer grief. So there's this eternal inheritance that will last forever, cannot be touched, and there are these griefs that we may suffer, but only for a short while. Compared to eternity, uh, even a lifetime would be a short time, which leads us on to the last uh, definition that he gives, the salvation. Now, I don't want to put words into anybody's mouth, so this is a dictionary definition of, of theological salvation. It is the deliverance from sin and its consequences, beloved, believed by Christians to be brought about by faith in Christ. I'll say it again, I think it's good. The deliverance from sin and its consequences, believed by Christians to be brought about by faith in Christ. You know, in an unusual debt, in, a, in an earthly debt, the names on the will and testament only get what's left after funeral, funeral expenses and debts been paid. So it's, so it's not as big as it started. In this case, in this heavenly inheritance, the debt has already been paid. We get the full amount. When I was, uh, first read this passage, I was struck by just how much time is spent on this eternal this eternal, eternal promise, and how little time was spent on the problem at hand. In fact, I'm so nerdy, I counted the words. Uh, 18 words are used to describe the temporary grief, whereas 84 words are used to describe the eternal reward. You know, psychologists say that if we, if we are suffering, we're feeling bad about stuff, you should offset, for every one bad thing, you should think of three good things. In our passage this morning, Peter outlines the good over six times longer than he does the bad. And I think in there somewhere is the, the clue um, as to how we can overcome these feelings of, of, of um, dis, uh, despair. So where do we find our security? David, the, 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 writer, the, the, the psalm writer, understood this very well. I was reading through the psalms a little, a little while ago and... Um, some of the psalms have this funny little bit at the beginning. It's not the psalm itself, but it's an instruction. It says about how it should be sung and who it's for, and sometimes it says why it was written. And Psalm 57, at the beginning 
uh, in the little margin notes, I suppose, says this. For the director of music, to the tune of Do Not Destroy, so this is all technical, of David, so David wrote it, a miktam. We don't know what a miktam is. We, we think it's a, a musical term. And this is the important bit. When he had fled from Saul into the cave. Now, when we started this, um, uh, this series, one of the things we looked at was envy. And you'll remember the story that uh, Saul is envious of David and so tries, tries to kill him. And so we read in this uh, psalm that he's hiding in a cave. Now, the interest, you know, the cave's very strong and it's got this little entrance. So there's a marauding horde trying to get through you. Yeah, they've got to come through one by one. So you pick them off one by one. It's a very, very safe place. But listen to what David says in the, in the psalm when we actually get to the psalm itself. Have, on, have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. He is not putting his security in the cave. He is putting his security in the God who made the cave. And there's a clue there as to how we can overcome this sense of despair. Elsewhere, he says, uh, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. The Lord is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Now, bear in mind, he lives in a fortress. He's got an army that protects him, and yet his security is not found in the physical. His security is found in the Lord. As I was reading this psalm, I just felt the Lord saying to me, you know, Steve, where's your security? Is it in a pension? Is it in your health? Is it in life insurance? Is it in the roof over your head and, and the boiler in the heating system? You know, where, where is your security? It should be in me. It should be in me. I started this morning with the events of 2018. And to be honest with you, they didn't affect Karen and I very much. We, we kind of took it as it was. But I don't want to give the idea that we have never, ever experienced despair, because we most certainly have. Uh, some of you may know our son has, our youngest son has a bit severe autism and uh, some learning difficulty. And, uh, you know, we grew up, we got, to, we got to work with that. We got to sort of change our life a bit to, to work around him. But when he hit teenage years, he just absolutely fell, absolutely fell. Um, he became very depressed, and ultimately he started to hurt himself to the point where he was um, detained in a psychiatric ward for five years. Now, Karen and I, we absolutely struggled. We absolutely found this the deepest, darkest place. Um, we, you know, our faith really took a knock on this one. We really didn't know where we were. We didn't know where God was. I remember going to a, to a, a church service. We were desperately trying to hold on to faith, desperately. And the preacher was giving a message. It, it wasn't too dissimilar to this one this morning. You know, God is good. God can do all things. Here's, here's where we find our security and all this sort of stuff. And I just remember eyeballing him and thinking, you have no idea what you're talking about. You have no idea. You come and sit where I'm standing, sitting. You come and sit with Karen and I, and then you say that God is good. That's how low we'd got to. That's where we'd got to. We were absolutely in a state of despair. You know, I remember at the time, Karen, uh, we were de so desperate, we were hanging on to any possible word of good news from God, and Karen was watching 
YouTube videos and reading books on, on this idea of despair. And she said to me, you know, Steve, we've got to praise God for Jonathan. And we've got to praise God for what he's going through. And I took a double take, I'll be honest. But we did it. We praised God for who he, who he is. And we praised God for what he was going through. And it was tough. It was an act of the will. It, it wasn't my heart saying that. It was my head saying, we've got to do this. And that's what we did. It took months. It took, it, you know, it was not an overnight. We didn't change overnight. It took months, but slowly, slowly, I believe that God lifted us up out of our, out of our depth, you know, and I think we learned things during that time. You know, there's that, uh, it's slightly romantic, isn't it? But there's that idea of the, you might have seen it in um, uh, poster, poster books, the little footsteps in the, in, the, in the beach. And there's two sets of footsteps. And then there's this moment where there's only one set of footsteps. And, um, you know, and, and the, the guy says, well, that was my time of deepest need. Why did you walk away from me? And then the Lord says, that was me during your deepest time. I was holding you. And I think God was holding us during that time. I think something else happened. I think our, our faith deepened strangely. Us, you know, I think our relationship with him is, is more rounded, shall we say, is more true. It, uh, it's been through a trial. And I think we came out the other end. And so consequently, I guess we're stronger Paul writes to the Romans and he said this. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance character, and character hope, and hope does not disappoint. It's that same hope that we've been talking about earlier on, that absolutely assured hope comes to those who are able to struggle through, persevere through, the suffering. You know, people disappoint. Positions disappoint. Fame disappoints. Money disappoints. Health disappoints. Careers disappoint. Pensions disappoint. Hope does not disappoint. Put your trust in Jesus because with him there is always hope. You know, in times of real despair, we would do well to pray a prayer that goes something like this. Even though I'm upset, angry, confused, frustrated, disappointed, and impatient, I will remember who God is. The Lord is still in charge, and He is good. He is righteous, He is true, He is faithful, He is all knowing, all powerful, and ever present. The world may seem upside down, but the Lord is still there. He is sovereign and he has a plan, a much bigger plan than I can see right now. I have to respect that he is God and I am not. His timing is not my timing. His ways are higher than I'll ever understand. He is supreme in all wisdom and he knows the end from the beginning. I'm just a person, his creation. He has everything under control. May God walk with you and may you find victory if you should ever come across those times of despair and may your relationship with him grow deeper as you persevere through those hard, hard times. Amen.
I've just... I'm going to hand over to Ash and see if he just received anything from the Lord there. But my own, my own thinking on this is, you know, I've been speaking about this absolutely assured hope. And I'm just aware that there may be a, a number of us here this morning who think, I'm not sure I've got that hope. I'm not sure I've got that absolute assurance that I have an inheritance waiting for me in heaven that cannot be touched. If that's you, I just want to pray a prayer. And if you pray that prayer along with me, uh, well, pray that prayer along with me and, um, and open up your heart as you do so. So let's bow our heads and let's pray uh, a, a prayer of asking God to give us that hope. Father God, you know, I, uh, that hope that Steve's been speaking about, uh, I'm not entirely sure I have it. And Lord, I would like to. Lord, I would like to know that I have an inheritance in heaven set aside for me. Father God, I'm just so conscious that I've done bad stuff and consequently I have a debt to pay. But I thank you, Lord, that you have paid that debt on my behalf. I am therefore entitled to receive that full inheritance. I ask you into my life right now that you would give me that new birth, that new birth that we've just read about today. And Lord, I just pray that you would be with me as I go through life with all its struggles, that I would know that there is a God who loves me and who cares for me. Amen.